maybe what we need to change more are minds. We need more teams that are willing to be different. You go back to, say, the 80s as an example. You had all these different styles of play, all these different styles of game. You had Earl Weaver. He had the platoons and the three-run homer and the big starting pitchers. And you had Whitey Ball. And you had Billy Ball. And you had Harvey's Wall Bangers. You had all these different views of how to play the game. And everybody was different. Right now, everybody's the same. They are all playing the same game the same way. Who's different? Who's out there? Who's like, you know what? We're going to take risks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week once again because it was advertised and it's time. Kevin Wheeler and I are going to talk a little postseason, but we're going to talk rules. We, we, we've been going on about this in our, in our conversations through the years about Major League Baseball rules, and now it's time for the Rules Podcast. Are you ready, Mr. Wheeler? I was born ready. Yeah, I, I've been looking forward to this, too, because every time we start to talk about something, we have other things on the list, and this is always like a side thing, like, okay, we'll get to that later, so I'm glad that later finally came. Yeah, later came. That you know they, The Cardinals opened up a window for us <laughs> to have this conversation when yeah. we'll get into the the nlcs and alcs but you know this this maybe some of what's happened in the games will inform our conversation i want to begin here with a scenario for you all okay. right you ready yeah i'm ready okay there is a pitcher a and a pitcher b mm-hmm. pitcher a spends this off season going to drive line cross-country, doing all the stuff, familiarizing himself with what goes into pitch craft, building a better pitch, and arrives at spring training and has now a slider with a just peak spin rate, right? It looks like he has just crafted the, the, the Frankenstein perfect pitch, and it has a jump in spin rate for him. He put in all this work. He put in. All, he used all the tech, all the data, and this is the payoff. He's got a great spin rate. That's pitcher A. Utilize data to improve himself for the game of baseball, make himself more competitive. Pitcher B did not do that, just dipped his fingers in some spider tack and has the same jump in spin rate, the same jump in success for his breaking ball, but by rule is doing it illegally, right? right? Pitcher A doing things illegally by using all that data to improve his spin rate? No, no. I mean, when you think about physically altering how the ball is thrown, with a substance that's not normally there, not your sweat, you know, it's not the dirt off the ground or even a rosin bag. Um, there's a difference between, I mean, you, you just made the point. You can make that leap with the spider tack without a bit of effort. Right. No effort at all requires nothing. And that's, that's usually your tell, right? And it's not exactly that if you're going to use like steroids as a, as a uh, comparison. Mm-hmm. It's not instant, but it's a lot easier. It cuts down the time it takes to build strength and stamina and all that. If you're going to use performance-enhancing drugs, it maybe raises the bar on how high you can really go, mm-hmm. uh, given your age or whatever. And we saw a lot of older players doing things. I think that's why 
something like spider tack especially but anything that's beyond uh what would be considered the basic level of improving grip because we're not talking about improving grip with spider tack we're talking about changing the dynamic of the pitch okay we're changing the characteristics of the fa- the flight of the ball okay uh, and we're doing that w- again without any work required without any effort necessary just go buy this thing and put it on there and i think that there's a clear difference between process and substance that immediately makes the change without having to do any work. So we can agree that pitcher A should be celebrated for having utilized data to improve himself in his career. And you're cool with pitcher B being fined or suspended for using a, a banned substance, a foreign substance, to accelerate that prospect process, correct? Are we good with that? Yeah, yeah. And not, and not only accelerating it, but I mean... Changing it. Cha- yeah, changing it, but also doing so in a manner that just comes instantaneously. Um, and, and and let's be honest, too, also turns into a bit of a disadvantage for the opposing side, for the, sure. for the hitter, uh, in part because it also... Because it when, you, when it takes time to build it, you can still make a mistake and not do it right, right? Say player A goes out there and on a given day he's just not feeling it. He doesn't. He can't get the grip right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not. He's not finishing the pitch. He's not getting full extension. So he's not getting the full benefit of the the gains he made in the offseason. That's not even a risk with a foreign substance. The substance is on your fingers. It's going to have the effect. But you. But to put a point on it, though, you would celebrate the guy who used everything at his disposal that was allowed by the game yeah. of baseball to yeah. make smarter choices. Right. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent. So why are we treating the shift like pitcher B <laughs> and not pitcher A? Why is the shift, which is utilizing data and effort and everything and the resources available, without anything you know untoward? Why is now the shift being treated like pitcher B, like the shift is spider tack against hitters and not pitcher A? Uh, great question. Here's my explanation because you know I agree with you on this. Um, I think it's, there, it's, a, it's one answer, but it's got two parts, okay? One, I think people, and, I, and I'm sorry, but people in the game are lazy with their thought. They see something that exists now that didn't exist before, and immediately that's the thing that they want to blame for some phenomenon that it's not necessarily connected to, mm-hmm. right? But it comes back. We, we talk about this uh, on the show, Chris Ranji, Amy Marscores, and I talk a lot about... That's diff- the show on KMOX, 1120 right, AM. Right, right. Plug, plug, plug. Right, right. Capital T, the capital S show. That's actually the name of the show, not just the, the show lowercase. But we talk about this a lot with a lot of different things. Yes, in sports, but also in politics and news and everything else. Mm-hmm. The visual is what matters to most people. What they see matters more than what's really happening when you look at something. Interesting. So if something is super visual, so I don't want to go too serious on it, but if you take an issue um, related to, oh boy, I don't want to, I just don't, I don't want to go too deep on the serious side here, Derek, but if you take something like, um, for example, let's go back. We'll go back. This is a little less controversial because it's way back. Go to Vietnam. What changed a lot of minds during the Vietnam War, because initially there were a lot of people that were supportive. Hey, the government's doing what they have to do. This is important. What started to change the minds were the pictures and the videos coming out of the war. Mm-hmm. People saw those things and they're like, oh, no, we can't. That That's not right. And it changed enough minds to change policy. Mm-hmm. And it's more. Than, so these things are not comparable. 
but I just wanted to come up with something that people can can really identify with is the visual really matters. So when I you, I mean, it's show not tell. This is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. When you yeah. show as opposed to tell. Yeah. That that's that the, the people latch onto the show. It's the difference between hearing an audio drama and seeing a movie. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. right, right, exactly. And I think that's the thing. So when you're watching a game. And there's a ball hit, especially for people that have been watching for more than the last five or ten years, right? People, so because really the the shift's impact has been most heavily felt the last five years, but really it's been a gradual buildup for probably a decade, right? Maybe, a, a little more than that, maybe, but mostly this last decade, right? I I have a hard time with this. But I mean, like the prominence of it, right? The prominence of it. Sure, the prominence of it. The constantly seeing it everywhere. But it wasn't like the shift didn't exist. Right, right. It, went, it goes it, back to Ted Williams. It goes back further than yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Ted Williams, when the Cardinals used it, the Birdo shift, um, they used that in the World Series. Mickey Mantle. There's a photo yeah. of Mickey Mantle about to hit what I think is what is it, 58th home run or something along those lines? Maybe 500th home run. One of the one of the milestone one, yeah. home runs. And there's a photo of him, and you see no fielders. <laughs> There's the pitcher, catcher, no fielders, right. and it's like a wide-angle yeah. thing. And they're giving him the middle of the field. I'm, they're, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah. There's no fielders. Yeah. You know, they, they were on a shift. They had the manual shift. Now, Ortiz come along. You know, I mean, we think back to, like, the big left-handed right, of our right, youth, and right. we saw some shift there. But part of it was... They weren't bold enough to do it. Right. I mean, it wasn't that they weren't doing it because of tradition. Right. It's because they weren't bold enough to step out right. of the comfort and do it because they the fear was that the guy would drop a bunt. Right. And they could bunt. Now the game has tended. So I have a real hard time with this. Like, yes, data is driving it. Is driving it. But there's also an element that the style of play has made it more successful than ever. It's not the reason why. Right. It's a response to. It is another example of an analytics, the tail wagging the dog. And so now teams that your managers that 20 plus 25 years ago they would happily use the shift but they you know they they thought oh man this is a great way to man you know don mattingly pulls a lot of balls on the ground right, to right. that side we'd shift the heck out of him except for you know mattingly might drop a bunt and then i'm embarrassed yeah and i'm but not bold enough to do the numbers to back it up it would but always, you did. It would, it would have had, no, not the same way that we do now. Not the big data, but right. you, but I saw Dave Duncan yeah, with, with his, his treasure chest yep. of information, the, the the things that he would draw. And you know why Herzog did the same thing? Would do it by hand. One color for line drive, one color for fly ball, one color for ground ball. And you know what they would do? They would shift guys around based on that. Mm-hmm. We all watched Jose Akendo move guys around yeah. to yeah. improve the fielding of David Eckstein and other fielders. Just to make that possible, that's the shift. We saw it, but now it's just so prominent. But the game is playing into it, not the other way around. Right, right. And I think you know, there, there's two parts to that that draw opposition, right? So going back to the visual, going back and going back to that time frame, let's say anything really, again, really before the last 10 years or so, when it became more about math than about a coach moving people. See, people don't like the idea of the front office or the computer making the decision. They don't like the idea that it's just the math. They kind of like the gut feel, right? <laughs> it was the coaches. It was it was Jose Okendo seeing it and knowing it and moving guys on the fly because it feels a little bit more like skill and magic. Even though he's using the same information. Right, right, right. But it's there's a there's a visual to it. There's a there's a there's a thought to it that we've always thought that as baseball fans, the game is about 
managers and their gut feel and the coaches and they see things that other people don't see. And the use of data does takes that away. It takes away the magic. It takes away that idea that these guys have some special insight that other people don't have and that's why they do the things they do. But then there's the other part of it, which is all those people that grew up on the game and watched the game before this recent era. Mm-hmm. A line drive to right field was a hit every time, and now it's not. Mm-hmm. And that super hard ground ball up the middle was a base hit every time, and now it's not. Mm-hmm. And that visual is jarring. That visual is you see that rocket up the middle in your whole life, base hit. All of a sudden, nope, short stops right there. He's out by 20 well, You're used to it being a great play, not a routine right, play. Right, right. And so you're right. right. Like Ozzie Smith going up the middle to rob a guy. Big of a diving hit. play. Big whatever. diving play. Yeah, now he's just standing there. Right. But I didn't hear a whole lot of people complaining when Ronnie Belliard made a play in shallow right field nope. to help the Cardinals win a playoff series against the, the Padres. No. I mean, that was him instinctually going there. But it, we can't like hide the fact that it, part of it was his comfort. Yeah. But also data drove that. I mean, whether it's data that's in a three-ring binder done by hand or data that is accumulated by a siphoning monster machine sucking (laughs) gigabytes out of box scores everywhere off Hawkeye and all that stuff. It's all the same data. It's just the more of it, the better you are at doing it. Right. And and the better you organize it, the more likely it is to be accurate. Right. And And then you also have the exceptions to the rule that stand out. Right. So the remember we talked about this quite a bit um, uh, when Mike Matheny was the manager of the Cardinals. Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't love the shift because some pitchers didn't like it. They didn't like it when that ground ball off the end of the bat was a base hit rather than an out. Right. But that only happens whatever one out of twenty five times. And the higher percentage of the times that ground ball into the shift is an out, and that happens more often based on the tendencies of those players or on the characteristics of the pitch of the pitcher. That's also, throwing. the style of offense these days. Let's Correct. be honest. Correct. I mean, like, look, you know, two strikes you see a lot of shifting. Well, they're still trying to get their 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 a swing off. Yeah. You know, they're not. You know, see now sometimes guys get El Rizzo and these other guys and the entire Cleveland lineup at times it seemed would choke up and take a different then try to punch the ball the other way or whatever. But the style of baseball right now feeds into this shift yeah. where it's I'm going to swing as hard as I can because I want to try to do damage on this pitch, not just put it in play because a strikeout ain't as bad as a double play. No, no, you're right. And that that's a big part of it. A ground ball can be two. A strikeout is one. <laughs> right. right. So there's part of that. It's part of why in those specific scenarios teams are not afraid of guys that strike out because it's better than a double play. Um, There's also a bunch of other factors that go into this, right? The pay scale affects this. Absolutely. What, What gets paid? Power. Damage. Yeah. yeah. So, what, what do people want to get? What, they, what do people want? They want job security. They want to get paid. So, you're going to do the things that get you paid. Right. More than that, though, even beyond that, when it comes to the style of offense, it has never been harder to string together hits. Right. With pitchers throwing harder than they ever have, with characteristics on pitches that are are on a, on a regular basis much more difficult to deal with than in previous generations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys spend the entire offseason working on tunneling and pitches that work off of one another. And you see all these, like the pitching ninja does a great job with the overlays. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why would that guy swing at that pitch that bounced three feet there? Well, because... Three quarters of the way there, it looks like the fastball, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they just they they diverge. They go in different directions, yeah. and because it hitting a baseball is harder, you can't rely on a on a rally. You need the one swing rally. Mm-hmm. 
the one mistake that the pitcher makes, you have to hit into the seats. Mm-hmm. And when he makes the mistake and you do the damage, that's how you're scoring runs in modern baseball. It's not a coincidence that runs per game now is about the same as it's always been. Mm-hmm. It changed a little bit here and there, but it's about, but it's all home runs now. A much higher percentage right, of batting average is low, low, right, low, right. low. But runs have maintained, Roughly. which tells you right. what what's happening. Right, and and walks too going up, like on base percentage. Sure, relative to batting average is up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and obviously the power. So it's part of the style of the game, in part because this one element, the pitching side is doing things that are, make it so hard to string together three, four, five hits for a two-run inning that you're you, odds-wise, you're not necessarily totally better off, right? Because home runs aren't that frequent. But home runs are still more frequent than they've been in previous generations. Mm-hmm. If you look at the rate of home runs per at-bat, mm-hmm. it compares now to the steroid era. The difference is the singles and the doubles and the triples are going away. And the strikeouts are going up. So when we're talking about what we want to make better, we want to have more action. We need more balls in play. But of the balls in play, the percentage of balls in play that go over the fence is what it was in the late 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. At least when I looked at it before 2022. So so how does a shift change this? It doesn't. So, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like outlawing the shift is not going to change the amount of balls in play. Right. That That's the problem. Like, yeah. like I, I keep coming back to it, that the shift is... You know, it's it's an it's an outcome. It's part. It's it's a response to the problem in the game. And taking it away does not change the game. No. You know, you might see a few more squeak through, but I mean, you're, the, the the I don't think the shift. The, I don't think outlawing the shift is going to change much. No. I think it's more of a cosmetic change, and we're not going to see much. You needed to do a substantive change, yeah. something, and you know what I. Would yeah, yeah. Do lower yeah. lower the strike zone. Right. Get more hard ground balls in play. Then okay, fine. You want to take away the shift? Cool. At least there's more balls in play then for that shift. But I would argue that you'd see the shift naturally go away. Yeah. Because if you expanded the the strike zone just a bit lower. Now that's not the only thing you can do. How long into spring training, in hours, after pitchers and catchers report, after full squads report, how long? Give me. How long in hours after they come to spring training for their first workout will we see teams shift just around the new rules? And we'll see some defensive, outlaw, you know, that we would call a shift, but it's totally permissible. How long? Like, do you think seven hours? 12 hours? I was going to say 10, so I guess, yeah, I was going to say 10, so yeah. yeah about probably. 10 hours and yeah. we start seeing that? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, I think that. What, what would you do? I mean, left fielder comes over to shallow right? Uh, as far as what you can do with yeah. positioning, uh, I'm moving my outfielders, yeah. No. Because th- this is the part that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot that doesn't make any sense to me about banning the shift the way that they're doing it. Or limiting it, I guess, right? Because you can still shift. you just limited to how much you can shift. Right. They never did anything with the outfield. Oh. It's only the infielders. Mm-hmm. So why are, we, why are we incentivizing ground ball singles? Why? We don't want... Like, that's not... You know what's fun? Doubles and triples. But those are you're not going to find those because outfield positioning is based on that same data. Mm-hmm. So if the if the center fielder can now just play right center and the right fielder can play the line and the left fielder can move over almost all the way to center, well, you have a full shift in the outfield. And if that guy pulls every fly ball, there's no extra base hits for him. They're flyouts or home runs. Do you think so? What's the logic of restricting only where the infielders play? 
and not where the so again i'm not against i'm not for either one of these things by the way but if you're going to do one you should do both if we're going to say you're going to we're going to limit where the infielders play they can't play on the grass they can't play on this side of the bag or that side of the bag well then why are we saying the outfielders can do whatever they want because you're right how long before an outfielder slides over to be a part of a shift because they know that this guy never hits the ball the other way. Yeah. Or if he does, it's soft. Right. And the and center fielder can go over and it's not going anywhere. Right. So you'll take your fastest yeah. outfielder, your center I mean, you fielder. You would still do it against Matt Carpenter in the later years of the Cardinals. You would put your outfielder who can field a ground ball. Maybe that's where this is. And is there some perception that outfielders can't field ground balls and throw to first? I can't buy that. That would be driving. But anyway, regardless, you would move that guy in, yeah. have him be on the grass, and then leave left field for the shortstop or the center fielder yeah. to catch. I, I just think there's, again, there's there, there are going to be people that try to exploit those things. And yeah, there will be risk involved with that, but so what? I mean, that's a big deal. But no matter what, even if we take out the extremes, just the ability to shift how and play your outfielders however you want contradicts what you're trying to do philosophically by restricting infielders. Mm-hmm. If we want more hits, why do we only want more singles? It doesn't make any sense. Well, devil's advocate would be that they leave open the outfielders move around because then the idea is you leave a whole area of the outfield exposed and that would be extra bases. But how often is that going to happen? Like you said, not really often because the guys that are dead, dead, dead pull, Matt Carpenter, when they hit it that way, it's going to be soft. Right. Because they're not trying to hit it that way, so it means they're mishitting it. They're hitting it off the end of the bat. They're getting jammed, whatever. Right. And in this case, by the way, when you think about the new infield positioning, you're going to have two infielders on that side of the ball, too, and they can play right in front of the grass. So if it's a soft hit ball to let that oppo field, well, then those guys can go get it. Yeah. That's what, yeah. All right. What what of the rule changes? There are three significant ones. Yeah. Do you like which power rank the other? Being, being behind, beyond yeah, 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 yeah. Beyond the shift one, right. which we are both down on, and that's. Yeah. But what of the other ones? Do you, how do you feel about them? I, I like the bigger bases. I don't think it's a big deal. I, I just don't think there's nothing to dislike about it. I no, mean, it's great. Right, right. It's fine. It's it's not disruptive visually. Um, it does shorten the path between bases, which could increase you know some people stealing more bases. Which, by the way, I like. I like the idea that we want to create action on the bases. Yeah. You know, we may not be able to create more contact, but we can get people moving around more. So that is exactly what I'm talking about. Is that is a creative way to flip what has happened on the in the game. Yeah. Right? Okay, so we are seeing fewer attempts because baseball has become risk management. Right. Right? And right. it's like every team you can go to and say, hey, what is the threshold that you guys have for a steal attempt? Is it 80? Is it 85? Is it 90? Is it 100? Do you have to have a pop time or a move or whatever where it's no risk at all? You just know you're going to go and you're going to take that. It probably, I mean, look, nothing's 100, but you can say 97%. What's your threshold for even trying to steal a base? Because the outs are so valuable. Every team will tell you one. And it's not going to be like a blanket statement. It's going to depend on who's on the mound and who's catching. But every team will tell you what that threshold is for what rate of success they need to have to attempt to steal a base. And every team is shooting for well above 80%. So by making the big – what's that? League average is 70%. No, I know. But every team – my my point is, so if anybody's an above average runner, they're going to be above eighty percent. Right, but they but they're choosing when to do it. Now, I mean, you're not seeing like the Ricky Hendersons and the Rock Rains and all these guys who are compi- I mean, you're not like look at the stats. You don't see a whole lot of caught stealings. 
You don't right. see big caught stealing numbers because it's become this risk management where it's to be avoided. Now they have actually changed the math on it. They have quite literally changed the time that it takes to get between the bases by shortening it just a little bit. And I'm, I'm really eager to see what happens. Yeah. Does it change the percentage enough? Does it change teams' threshold for trying? Does it invite more risk? Just that small alteration. And, and may, maybe maybe this is just me being dumb, and you know me well enough to tell me if it's that. Yeah, it's fine. It's all good, Jarek. I, I realize I'm dumb sometimes. I'm not going to say that. What, what other thing that happens on offense in baseball has a 70% success rate? A walk, okay, but but that at bat coming into it, you don't know that you're going to walk. Oh no, you don't. Yeah. Right, right. So, and your odds of drawing a walk are what your 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 good guys getting on base are thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight percent of getting on base. Yes, yeah, yeah. And a walk is a sliver so a walk, of that. Right. So yeah. a walk is is maybe what I half of that. Your question now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So your odds of that runner going safely from first to second on a steal on average are 70%. If you're doing it with a good runner, Mm -hmm. with speed and the ability to read a pitcher's move, all of that, it's probably 80 to 90%. Well, it better be because otherwise they're not. The front office is going to let well, them. But do this it. is my point, though. Yeah. Even average is seventy percent. Nothing else on offense in baseball is seventy percent successful. Right. Nothing. No. And it's not close. You're right. So, what are the odds of that hitter behind you getting you to second base without sacrificing an out? The odds are really low. A lot lower than seventy percent. I think people have talked themselves out of trying steals. Because it looks bad. Because if somebody gets thrown out and then the next guy hits a bomb, like, oh, dude, you blew it. You, you cost yourself a run. And I think the way it looks, going back to appearances, mm-hmm. is 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 worse than the actual impact. You have a much better chance of actually stealing that base mm-hmm. and then a single scoring that run or stealing that base and then a ground out and a fly out scoring that run than you have to worry about that ball being a home run and you lost out because 30% of the time you're thrown out. And, and again, a good runner is not going to get thrown out 30% of the time. Well, I I agree. But I think part of that is because of their decision as when to run. Well, sure. That, yeah. that, goes into, that goes into the speed of the runner and how good they are at right. it. So there are guys that are phenomenal base stealers. And they should be running more. Now, I don't think the, I, agree. I don't think the average guy should be running all the time. That's where you're going to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. The elite guy should be running all the time. And I, I think, and I, I agree, by the way, that teams are better at pitchers getting the ball to home quicker and varying their times that's a big thing all the tony la russa stuff that he brought in to really kind of close down the running game absolutely vaporize it but there are still guys out there stealing 90 percent of the time there are and but and they should some of that though is predetermined by how often i agree they should run more yeah like to your point the guys who are ninety percent successful? Probably ought to run more and get down to eighty-two. And then the other, even that—that's that's the truth of it. Right? Is and that you are you are too successful at running? You probably should run more yeah. and get thrown out a bit more because and that takes some more risk. It, it takes more risk. Well, it also impacts other things. It changes how teams align themselves defensively a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? They have to be more conscious. Oh. Of you uh-huh. mean you wouldn't have to outlaw the show? Oh, yeah, you see where we're going here. It also changes pitch selection. Mm-hmm. Now, probably not as much in the big leagues as it does at lower levels in baseball, but. Well, it's, not as much as it used to. You're, right, right, you're going right. to make it. I, I can't wait. Okay, but everybody, change. this harder. is a great point. Yes. So it's still going to very likely 
increase the percentage of pitches that are fastballs. It's not 100% guaranteed. From younger pitchers. No, I'm talking about in the big leagues. No, I'm saying in the big leagues from younger pitchers. Probably, but even with the veterans, and I'm not saying it's a lot. Or bad catchers. Right, or bad catchers or teams with bad game plans or whatever. But the point is, it requires some extra change or thought. And if you got a pitcher thinking more, this guy's going to run, it can jack up his mechanics. Mm -hmm. It can jack up the execution of that pitch. And that mistake could then be a home run. And I think the more that you put pressure on the defense, the more that they have to think about things, the less it becomes routine and same. Because what does a pitcher thrive on? They thrive on rhythm, and they thrive on consistency, and they thrive on get into the pattern and get going. They don't thrive on this being different from pitch to pitch and having to think longer and work more and work harder at holding the runner. Mm-hmm. Do you think think about the, the impact that Ricky Henderson had on opposing pitchers all those years? Oh, they were havoc. They were terrorized. Well, and Reigns, too. I mean, yeah. didn't get enough credit. And Coleman well, and all of that. Coleman and Ozzie Smith and all that. And I get that it's a different time, and it won't have that same impact. I'm not saying we need to go back to Whitey Ball and all that. What, what I'm saying is, you, in every sport, when you have an offense versus a defense, mm-hmm. the trick is for each side to put pressure on the other. And this is one element in baseball where they do not put pressure on the opponent anymore. And again, when you can alter potentially defensive alignment, focus of the catcher, what's he thinking about when he's calling the pitch? Mm-hmm. Where is he setting up? Are you willing to set up in on a batter where that batter might be more in your way when you're coming out to throw if this guy's going to run that much or run that much more? Or are you going to go more away where you have a cleaner throw? Mm-hmm. Does that lead to something that can help the pit, the hitter? Does that go away from the strength of your pitcher? You're just What you're doing is you're adding variables. And when you're adding variables, you're adding potential mistakes. You're adding the, the 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 difficulty. You're ratcheting up the difficulty level on anybody. Now, the best of the best are going to handle it. Mm-hmm. Yachty as a catcher is not going to be impacted by that. But he's the unicorn. There aren't many guys like that. There aren't many guys that, that are in the game the way that he is mentally and are just not going to worry about those things. They're going to call what they need to call to get the batter out because they know they're going to throw people out. Mm-hmm. Right? They understand those things. And most pitchers, though, most pitchers are not. Max Scherzer or Adam Wainwright, where they're not going to be bothered by all that nonsense. The vast majority of pitchers are just normal. They're not elite. They're not the stars. They don't all have the same level of focus. So if we can turn them up and speed up their thought process, and by the way, at the same time, put them on a pitch clock where they don't have as much time to step off, and they can't keep stepping off now because if they do, it's going to be a buck. Or the, the guys going to get the runners get going to get to the point where they know they can't pick off, mm-hmm. and then he's no. going to steal anyway. So take a running head start. You can tell. I mean, and I know that my biases are showing in this. In that, in college, I played for a, a coach who was all you about played this. in college. No, I sat. I practiced a lot and I watched a lot. And this is one of the things I learned. Well, watching. You had a uniform and a number and I everything. A, yes, I had a uniform and a number, and I practiced a lot. What was your number? Uh, Thirty-seven. 37. 37. And I and I watched a lot, though. And, and, one and of, who played ahead of you? A lot of guys. What position did you play? Everybody. Catcher. And who was a starter the, at catcher? The guy that was really a player was Charles Johnson. He was okay. really good. All right. um, and this was, this was at Miami of Ohio? No, come on, the palm trees. Uh, Ron Frazier was our coach. But one thing I learned by watching how he ran a game, because I did nothing but sit the bench and watch, we put pressure on the opponent nonstop, yeah. and they made mistakes over and over and over. I'm talking about elite competition, yeah. too. I'm not talking about playing Nova University. I'm talking about facing Tennessee and Texas and Georgia Tech, and you're putting pressure on them that they're not used to. 
Um, and obviously, the big leagues are the big leagues. It's not college. The level of play is significantly higher. Uh, you're playing against grown-ass men that have mortgages, and they've been doing this forever. But even they don't like their routine change. They have mortgages? Yeah, well, probably not. They pay for the whole thing. <laughs> just cut a check. But, <laughs> but the point is that even they can be susceptible to their routine being blown up. Yeah. Well, we saw that in the National League Championship Series. I mean, look. You know, the the Phillies had a four-run lead and then made a few plays. I mean, yeah. actually, the Padres did, too. They just made a few ragged plays, and all of a sudden, poof, there's a rally. Because, in some, you know, like you said, you're not going to string a whole lot of hits together. Yeah. But a mistake here, bad play there, throw to the wrong base there. You know, a wild, a wild throw gets away here. Um, you know, a play not made, a double play not turned, whatever. Um and all of a sudden now that's the that's the grease that a rally needs because it wasn't going to get it with yeah. stringing four hits together. Yeah. And one thing that we all know pretty instinctively if you watch football, right, is the more things that an offense makes a defense accountable for, mm-hmm. the more areas there are for potential mistakes and for things to exploit. Right. So when you're limiting the number of things that somebody has to even consider, you're eliminating things that could go wrong. And that could go right in your favor as an offense. And I think that I'm hoping, hoping that the bigger bases and shortening that distance a little bit will help. Mm-hmm. I know that the pickoff rules are going to help with that. I don't love those. I think that it's, I mean, it feels, it almost feels kind of like little league-ish to like limit the number of times you can throw over to first base. But I get it because people use it as a stalling tactic and they use it as a way to get a reliever ready faster. Or so? No, no, I get it. And I don't like that. I wouldn't put that in. Um, but I might like the result of it. <laughs> the result of it being more more stolen base attempts. I probably would like that. But I don't like the implementation of that. Um, and, I, and I do like the pitch clock. I don't, I don't uh, think it's the greatest thing in the world, but I don't think there's any harm in it. So... Chris Carpenter, had, when I was talking to him, he said that Yadier Molina brought him great comfort for the reason you were talking about, because he could ignore if there was a runner on base. Exactly he would right. just ignore right, him. Right. Um, he would trust that Molina, so he could focus on, this is what i got to do. i got to execute the pitch. If that runner takes off, awesome. Yadier will yeah. take care of it. But and with Yadier, it was an out. A lot of time, eighty percent of the time, right? A lot of right. time, but sometimes it wasn't, and sometimes it was a key steal, but sometimes it was, and like in the World Series, a key caught stealing. But the so. key thing is, though, how many times did he benefit from not even having to worry about it and executing the all pitch the properly? Yeah, I mean, said all hun- hundreds and hundreds of times compared to the very small number of times that right. it actually worked against him. Yeah, right, right. So the 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 throw over, you're right. It does feel like like limiting the amount of times a pitcher can throw over to first base does seem like okay cool when he runs out of those throws does that mean that the runner has to start at first base and can't take a lead <laughs> it does feel kind of little ish yeah i mean but, you, but the, there the thing is though now you're getting back into adding more right that runner can now take a bigger lead because the only way the pitcher can throw over is if he picks him off right how many pitchers are going to take that risk of not picking him off and it being a balk and he gets to move over to second for free, wouldn't you rather just throw the pitch and give your catcher a chance? Don't you think that it's also going to take it to not just the limit, but one fewer than the limit, and then you're going to see the runner try to force it? Sure, why not? Like it's and again, like, I, that's the part about it I like. I like I like that you're trying to get people to do things. I don't think that's a great way to do it, because I just I think it feels, it feels forced. It feels artificial. Yeah. Uh, but I get it, because we are at a point where... We almost have to force action. 
Right. Because there's a lot of standing around and waiting for the mathematical equations to show us what was what, what what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I'm not a big fan of waiting around and saying, "Hey, listen, over six months, the numbers are going to be this." Yeah, they are, they are. But the game is not watched that way. It's an entertainment event. Fans are watching games and they're watching for moments. We're not watching for data points. And that's and that's a big part of these changes is the visual. It's an entertainment product. Sure. So even though I don't like a lot of these things, I understand it because the I'm a I'm as big a baseball nerd as there is, which is why we're doing this because we're both uh, baseball nerds. But I don't. Most people are not thinking. What does this mean? for all of the instances for six months. Right. They're thinking, I'm watching this game right now. And again, as a radio host, I'm thinking of it this way. What am I trying to do from one segment to the next? I'm trying to keep people around. I'm trying to give people a reason why they should stick around. Why should you wait five minutes for us to come back from a break and listen to what we're going to talk about next? Well, that's why I give you a tease. That's why we try yeah. to. That's why you try to be consistently whatever you're supposed to be, fun, informative, whatever. I mean, every show's different, right? But the idea is you're trying to keep people around. Well, baseball's been terrible at that right. in recent years because you're, you're going to wait around for the home run, which is happening, what, 8% of the time, 7% of the time? That's not a good bet. Right. And in, you know, when you look at a sport like football, it's not you can't be football. Your, sport, your sports is completely different. But there's something happening every time the ball is snapped. It's predictable. It may be. But there are collisions. You, there, there are players running all over the place, and and there is at least on any given play, the thought that anything can happen, and on a much higher percentage no. of plays, something does happen. Okay, so this we're getting into a bigger conversation because this is something that I feel very strongly about is a difference between like why baseball and soccer resonate with me, and some other sports mm. don't. And it's the notion of sustained tension because when the ball is hiked, you know there's going to be a variety of outcomes, all of them potentially entertaining in in football, correct? Like there's going to be a run, tackle, throw, interception, fumble. You know that when the ball is hiked, the offense has control of the ball. You you know there is going to be something worth watching here. Even if it's a even if it's a negative play, right? Something's happening, right? So that there is no tension involved. It's sure, very predictable. Sure. Whereas with soccer and baseball, there is tension involved. This might be the pitch that is a home run. Mm-hmm. This might be the pitch that is taken. Right. You don't know the, when it's released by the pitcher. You have the tension, the potential of amazing, as opposed to the certainty of action, and where you know. Football does have the potential for amazing, but less than because it's a plod down. That's a ground game, right? And yes, there is amazing that happens: a long pass or interception, fumble, sack, whatever. It does have the potential for amazing, but it doesn't have the lack. It doesn't have the threat of nothing. It it just lacks yeah. that tension. Yeah, I mean, it happened. Nothing happens a lot of times. When, when, like an incomplete pass, handoff, and you're stopped at the line of scrimmage. But that still was over. a tackle. Yeah, that still yeah, was a tackle. It's a guy falling there, down. There are eleven guys moving. Sometimes it's a guy falling down on his own. I right. mean, like, but there's a good chance in baseball that quite literally nothing. Happening. Yeah, visually, right. In baseball, it's quite possible that the pitcher and catcher play catch. Yeah, and no one else moves. There's nothing else that happens. Yeah. But you don't know that when the ball is. So you have this moment of tension because, and it's heightened because you have the potential for nothing. 
that that is one of the things that I think draws me in yeah. to baseball and to soccer because this might be the rush. This might be the pass that maybe nothing happens, right, right. but this might be the pass that becomes a goal. All right, I'm going to ask you a trick question, and I'm admitting up front that's a little bit of a trick question. What do you think the difference is between the people that watch football and the people that watch baseball? And I don't mean because people most most sports fans watch both. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know very many sports fans that only pick one or two things. You tend to watch a lot of things, but what do you think the biggest difference is? Between the football audience and the baseball audience, I don't. I don't know. I, I honestly don't. The know. answer is not what you're thinking. It's the fringe fan. The but. difference in the size of the audience, the number of people watching, mm-hmm. is that there are more people that are football that are watching football that are not big fans, but they're just kind of casually in, or there's nothing else on. It's Monday night, or they got a, they got a bet on the game. They don't really care about the sport. They're in it for the action on the betting fantasy, side. right? Fantasy. And and there aren't as many fringe sports fans that watch baseball on a day-to-day basis. Some of it's the commitment day-to-day. It's not once a week. It's all the time. And that's where the difference in this perception matters. Mm-hmm. Because the casual fan is going to care more about seeing the action on every play. Mm-hmm. Where you and I, and I'm with you, by the way, I love that about baseball. Uh, I love the buildup. I love the quiet, 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 smash, home run. I I, I love stuff or like great that. play. Right, right, right diving, yeah. what, whatever it is, right. Um, but I don't think that people who are casual sports fans are as into that as the rest of us. Mm. I think the casual sports fan is more into the eye candy. There's more happening more often as opposed to one big thing or a few big bigger things happening more more infrequently, like soccer. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of reason why why soccer has not caught on as big in the U.S. as it is worldwide. Yeah. Is is that? Yeah. I think, and it's not because the diehards don't. The people that love soccer don't care. You and I are diehards ba- baseball fans. I don't care about the pace and all that stuff. I I like. In fact, I liked thinking along and being in there. But the, the difference between football and baseball, the NFL and Major League Baseball, when it comes to TV numbers and, and the sheer number of people that pay attention, is that football's more suited to casual fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the schedule, because of the action, for all these things. And I'm not saying you should try to be that. Right? I, I mean, you can't, you shouldn't try to be something that you're not. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not going to work. But if you do want to go more in that direction when it comes to getting more eyeballs, more butts in seats, more eyeballs on television, guaranteeing more action or at least increasing the odds of action is going to help you. It yeah. just is. I'm going to flip. I, I see where you're going with this, and I'm going to offer one that you you, me, you mentioned like just kind of in passing that I think is a far bigger deal when it comes to the audience for football and for baseball. And it's the fact that it's uh, what we would call must-see TV or appointment television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the difference between 18 games mm-hmm. or 19 or whatever they play now. I'm showing 17 them. in the regular season. Is it 17? Okay. Yeah. The difference between 17 games. I don't even know. Like, whatever. <laughs> Come on, Derek. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, and 162 is huge. And it's simply this. If you're at home, you have baseball on in the background because you're a big fan or because it's the, the the background noise of summer, whatever. But you know baseball is going to be there tomorrow. Right. I'll watch baseball tomorrow. 100%. I'm going to watch baseball Better tomorrow. Better pitching matchup tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Yeah. And then you get to tomorrow. Oh, man, I got something else. I got, I got to do the Kids yard. It's going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. You know, you don't say that with football 100%. because it's not going to be there tomorrow. You're right. You know, yeah. Alabama, Tennessee, not there tomorrow. Right. 
But and you Cardinals, you Cubs, probably there tomorrow. And you can't, but you can't fix that. No, you can't. So what you, you have to embrace fix, it, right? But what you can fix is maybe giving people a little more to watch. And I mean, by people, I mean the casual people, sure. the people that aren't as diehard as we are, because we're not going anywhere. But the the way to do that. There are a number of ways you can do that, but you, to artificially create appointment television for baseball is to heighten the rivalries, yep, heighten yep, yep. the pitching matchups. Well, there's a great point because to me that is one of the things that is absolutely changing, and it's the big pitcher starting pitcher showdown, mm-hmm. right? On those days when you get uh, Verlander going up against Scherzer. You know, like, or, or just those days that that big guy is pitching; those are draws. Mm-hmm. Teams sell more tickets on those days. They charge more because and, of dynamic pricing. And, so. you know, but you know why? Because you know that player is going to have the ball in his hand, and yeah. he's going to throw it a hundred times, and he's you're going to see it. It's the Otani factor. It's exactly right. You know you're going to see it. Yes. Yeah. And you never know if Mike Trout's going to have four at bats or three, or if he's going to hit a ball, get a hit or not. But you know you're going to watch that pitcher throw a hundred pitches. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. But this is the problem, though, is the more teams are going away from that guy and they're going more to the four-and-a-half, five-inning guys or the two times through the rotation yeah. and then to the bullpen, you're getting rid of the draw. You're getting rid of something that pe- people wanted to watch Nolan Ryan pitch. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you see that documentary? No. It's really good. It's really good. I'm going to – I got to tread lightly into that. No, it's good, though. It's good. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I'm just so – Exhausted by defending Robin Ventura. Oh no! It's, don't worry about it. That's not the big part of it. But but one. I mean, watch the whole video, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Like Ryan I mean, I on the bottom and gets beat yeah, up. Yeah, he gets yeah. flipped. Yeah. You know, and there's not a hair yeah. out of place for Robin hey, Ventura. Guess where that? Guess where that goes back to? Visuals. The visual, right? Yeah. No, and I want to get to that. So you make a great point about it because you're right. That's a great entry point because the the Nolan Ryan Robin Ventura fight is. Everybody seizing on the most dramatic part of it and using that forever. The most visible. The most visible as the anecdote to drive that. Forever. Forever. <laughs> as I know. Forever. Um, and and it comes up here recently. Like, here, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i throw you a trivia question. Like, Randy Rosarena goes into October 2020 and has just an otherworldly performance. Great performance. Obviously, the Cardinals are like, oh, man. Gosh, dog! Why didn't they never gave him the chance to be? Why that? didn't they listen to the Kevin Wheeler show? Okay, yeah, the right we had Randy the A up today. <laughs> All right, so there you go. So he has a great. You're the you're the perfect guy to ask this. He has a great 2020. Since then, since then, so in the two seasons since then, rank these three outfielders by WAR. Ready? Randy Rosarena, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson. Rank them one, two, three by WAR. Oh, by war, Rosarena is probably three because he's not a good defender. Okay, is that your right? answer? That would be my answer, and then uh, probably O'Neill, then Carlson. Okay, so Carlson one. No, no, O'Neill, Car- O'Neill one, Carlson two, or Rosarena three. Okay, Randy is second. Oh, okay. okay, okay. Tyler O'Neill, who has missed a whole lot of time, is first. Right. Not entirely helped out by defense. Oh, um, but it's a big difference. It it is a substantial difference, and that's part of why Rosarena didn't play for the Cardinals is because they sided with right, defense. Right. And in fact, you remember who they played ahead of him? Yeah, didn't like it. 
Who they play ahead of them? I'm forgetting now. Who was it? It was uh, oh, it was Bader. It was Harrison Bader. Because they had sent Bader down, and they were going to give Lane Thomas a look. Mm-hmm. And then when Lane got hurt, instead of saying, oh, boy, this guy's destroying AAA, mm-hmm. let's try him. They're like, let's just go back to Bader because he'll catch fly balls. Let's go double down on defense and right. go heavy right. run prevention. And the problem with it was they were really good defensively everywhere else, and they had a big need on offense. Yep. And that was where the complaint was. Absolutely. Right. And so now who's having a Randy Rosarena type October after being traded by the Cardinals? Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader. <laughs> okay. So forever. You're right about the visuals, right? Yep. Because folks who tune in, and they'll remember Randy Rosarena for October 2020 and forever say, that's Randy Rosarena and won't pay attention to the two seasons that followed. No, he's still a 20 30 guy though fine yeah but so are other players right but he's not he's not an elite player right he's a good player they will remember like this moment or this stretch of moments and i'm not faulting it no you're right because it's it's it gets locked in the mind's eye as anecdotal but then you go to the big data sets and you say well actually it's not and so that brings us all the way back around to the fact that maybe outlawing the shift is okay because if you're just watching one game, you're going to remember the ball that gets through now. Well, you're going to remember the ball that gets through, yeah. and you're not going to think in the big data sets. You're going to remember that, hey, man, that the shift being outlawed meant that this guy got a base hit. Randy Rosarena right. got a base gonna hit. You're not going to remember the big data set of right. this had no impact at all. Right. You're going to remember the one moment. That was something that, that Rob Manfred said. And honestly, it might be the only thing I think is a legitimate argument for changing the rules on the shift. And that is... And I'm, I'm paraphrasing Manfred, but it was something along the lines of the game will look like it did when I was a kid. And look, in an entertainment industry, appearance does matter some, right? The visual does matter some. So that ball that was a hit when you were 10 will be a hit again next year. But it's not just that. It's like... It's what we've talked about. It's the visual in small sample sizes. Right, right, right. So you, it's like, the like, visual it's, for the person who goes to one game. Right. So it's, it's the it's, person who watches eighteen baseball games because they have like seventeen football games. Right, right. And what lodges in their memory? Well, it's the, it's the same thing that you get when you'd get uh, a pitcher that was mad that the the number off the end of the bat was a base hit mm-hmm. because of the shift, and they forget about the eight times that the line drive rocket that they gave up was an out because right. of the shift because that visual stands out because it's 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 not it didn't used to be that way you're used to seeing that little soft ground ball being an automatic out right. and when nobody's there it's jarring we are for a long time announcers were like well if you weren't in the shift that was an out sure but the eight times that they pulled rockets to the other side that were outs would have been hits yeah you just it's swing, it seems like you're swimming upstream at that point right. where if the anecdotal is always going to be the evidence then the truth never is. What? And how do you Ladies fight and that? Gentlemen, United States of America. No. <laughs> but how do you fight that as a, as a sport? And these rules, I'm, I, I like the p- pitch clock. I get it. Yeah. I, I think it's fine. The bigger basis is to me is fine, genius. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'll go beyond fine. I think it's genius. I think it's a creative no solution for an obvious problem. Right. And, and there's no downside. No. Right. And, and it may have the biggest impact. I'm I'm eager to see if it has the biggest substantial actual substantive change for baseball. We're in never a long gonna time. know. You know why? 
because well, we won't know the negative. Well, you know why? Because the biggest beef I have with all of this is we did it all at once. Oh, right. They have never yeah. tested yeah. all of these things at once in the same league. That's Tony and, Clark. And we're going to yeah. do that in the major leagues. Unintended consequences like, of too many things. You don't know what thread to pull. Well, And we won't know what's working and what's not in the end, right? I mean, we'll have visual. We'll have the anecdotal. We'll have visual evidence. But if you if you did, they should have taken at least a year at AAA and mm-hmm. did all of these things at AAA. And what happens when we do them all? Yeah. How? Because because yeah, we want to change things, but you don't want to dramatically screw no, up the right. sport. You're right. And without it, being able to parse what did it. Because how many times have we had different things in baseball that have come up, and you're like in season, like ah, we need to change that. Uh, oh my god! Like this is my big concern, and I, I kind of I say concern. I kind of actually kind of dig it, but it does it does make me laugh a little that coming out of 2020 when everything was kind of ad hoc and on the fly, oh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, that yeah. now that's the norm. Yeah, like it was. Uh, people don't may not remember this, but it wasn't too long ago. No, but 10, 11 years ago, where teams came to spring training with one playoff format and left with another route into the playoffs. That happened in baseball, where spring training started with one playoff format and ended with yeah. another. And you know what? That's fine, because they never reduced the number. No, it they didn't. increased right. more chances. Yeah. And it doesn't take it take effect on opening day. But it still cracks me up. Like, yeah. but, it is fun. And, and that caught me. And now it's constant. <laughs> now baseball is the dry erase marker board of sports. <laughs> Or even worse, it's the Etch-a-Sketch. We're going to draw up these rules. Don't like it. Shake it a little bit okay. and clean it up. And it, and it happens like like it happens in the middle of a season. Yeah. Hey, we got to really clamp down on this spider tax stuff. Well, how? Well, shoot, let's get some new stuff in there yeah. and do it that way. You know, I mean, I half expect at some point in time we're going to be at the All-Star break. And they're going to say, hey, in the second half of the season, right-handed batters bat left-handed, left-handed batters bat <laughs> right-handed. Let's see who the real hitters are. I, I, like, Or like, hey, everybody, we're going to have a round-robin tournament in September. It's going to all 30 teams are in. Well, trade deadline's going to be fun. Right. You right. know, I mean, it's just like, it feels so weird. But it also f- concerns me on a much more serious level that some of the things that make baseball baseball, and that is like the long slog, the the just the amount of games, its ubiquitous presence during the summer, these things that we always go, it's always there for us. This thing that works against them from a TV audience point of view, but benefits them as a sport. Well, also benefits them at the box office. Absolutely benefits I mean, them as ticket look at, sales. Look at how many right. tickets baseball teams sell compared to football teams. It's well, like it's, you, it's don't a, jump ahead. You're getting to my. You're going to run. I'm okay, sorry. I worry that they're changing the game for the audience that only has, like you said, a peripheral interest, and they're going away from the ticket buyers and the people who go to the game. Baseball's still a game that in some places, you know, I get it. There's a lot of money in rights fees and a lot of money, but it still should be a draw to go to. So how do you increase that? Well, you have to get more action on the field. And sometimes that might be counterintuitive to what looks good on TV. Yeah. But you have to get more action on the field, more balls in play. 
And you have to create a better game-going experience at some of these places. There is nothing wrong if some major league teams have some minor league promotions. Like, learn a little bit from the Savannah Bananas. Not by changing the rules on the thing. But, hey, make the game-going experience a show. Well, there's another thing that they need to do. do that. And, And by focusing on how it looks on television, for people, like you said, that may not tune in because it's going to be on tomorrow and i'm not watching i i I binge my netflix stuff but i'm not watching the same story every day of the summer i'm going to go outside but make it better for the people at the ballpark and embrace that part of baseball embrace the fact that you are defined by the long term and i feel like some of these rules by focusing on how it looks on television how it looks in small sample sizes, and also expanding the playoffs to then reduce the importance of the regular season are bending away from what has defined baseball. I think uh, there's a lot to that. Like I, I agree with most of that. But you know what? You want to draw people? you got to kick the owners of some of these teams in the asses because you've got too many teams that suck for too long. You know what draws people to the ballpark? Good baseball. Good, okay. good yes. teams. Yes. You know, and when you've well, got that's part of the show, that's no, what but I'm saying. saying. Like, okay, but you've got the Marlins and the Pirates and these teams that just never stay good for any period of time. If they're good, they're good for Great a year point. or two. And 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 I don't care what anybody says. That's about ownership commitment to spending money. You can't look at these teams as as pure revenue Great generators point. because to, to draw long-term, the reason the Cardinals draw the way they do is because they've been good forever. It's not because, it, yes, there's history. Uh, I mean, the 90s weren't. It, oh, no, but in the last 25 years, they're always good. Yeah, Even their bad years are winning years. It's they don't all 07. They thing. don't go a decade without a winning season. But they do go a decade without a World Series well, okay. and a pennant. Okay, yeah, and that's about on par for the history of the franchise, right? Mm-hmm. You got 11 World Series in just a little bit over 100 years. You average them about one every 10 years. It's not that's normal even for a and that's normal for an elite franchise. That's for the second winningest franchise all time when it comes to World Series. So nobody else has that. And the point is that the reason, like, the, the, and why do why and and I know it's be, in part because the big markets have more people, but the Yankees look at some of the Mets games and whether or not they were drawing when they were bad or when they were mediocre. They don't. Good teams draw fans, and you can't have teams that are bad for decades and decades, and they keep using the same excuse that we can't spend like the no no no. But you can do what Tampa does. You, you can be a team like Minnesota. And I mean, Tampa pop. might not be the example because they don't draw either. No, no, no. But that's a horrible place to be. I mean, like it's a bad stadium and a bad location, and everybody there is a fan of someone else because they grew up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's a and it's just a – they picked the wrong city to be in, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There's It's not 100%. But you tell well, you know this as well as anybody. If you, if you are a quality team and you show fans that you're going to have a run where you're good for three, four, five, six years, they'll fill up Pittsburgh. Yeah. They'll fill up they Cincinnati. Did. Well, Cincinnati is the best example. They'll fill up Colorado. They will fill up all of these places that are almost always empty. Winners draw fans. And you're right. All of this on-field stuff matters. But I'm going to tell you right now. You know what kids like? Kids like to win. 
They don't want to go see a bad team. They jump on bandwagons. They no, get ex- right. you, they get excited about how good the team is. You're right. I mean, and and it's possible to do both, like have a good no, team yeah. and a good game going experience. Yes, one hundred percent. I mean, I think 100%. you go to these places where they have a good team and they have a poor game going experience. It feels right. dull too. You go to places that have great game going experience and no crowd. It feels weird right. too. Yes, and I, and I have the I hear this this all the time. Like ah, oh, the younger generation, you got to get their attention and sure you got to get their attention by being cool yeah by being good eight-year-old kids want to see a win they don't want to go to a 10 games a year and see nine losses they don't want to watch a bad team every night good teams get people in so i think you know it'd be nice for some of these cities to occasionally be good for a five-year run because in that five-year run you're making thousands and thousands of fans Mm -hmm. lifetime fans kids that get excited because once you're in you're in Mm -hmm. once you're a fan you're a fan and i think on top of like this is this is my big this is why i hate the way that we allow these owners that I'm and that I'm talking about. It's not all of them, but it's the ones that do this. They play it's Oakland. They play this game like, well, we can't compete with the Yankees, so we're not going to try at all. Mm-hmm. Ah, you can be a middle of the pack payroll. You can be you can be that for an eight year run or whatever. You may not be able to be the Yankee the, the Dodgers and win the division for twelve straight years. You might not be the Cardinals and win you know, have have nineteen winning seasons in twenty years. You may not be able to do that. Although if you can do it in St. Louis, why can't you do it in Minnesota? And why can't you do it in Cincinnati and Pittsburgh? If you can do it here. They're doing it in Milwaukee. They're starting to, yeah. They're they're consistently good and they draw. Mm-hmm. And I think that somehow and, and the problem is we know that Major League Baseball is not going to address this because it would require owners holding each other to account, which they're not going to do. But also, I think the owners of the teams that win kind of like the other teams suck all the time because yeah. it makes it easier to pile up wins. So I don't know how you fix that problem because you can't force people to spend. But that's a big problem. And then I think the other, you know, when we talk about drawing young fans, you just you have to make it easier for a kid to be a fan, mm-hmm. especially in areas um, that don't have a lot of money. Make it free for the kids to play. Your baseball's got a lot of money. Pay for little leagues all over the country, in, in rural areas, in cities, wherever, where where people are challenged and get more kids a chance to play. Yeah. And that make the equipment available. Yeah, and and good coaches and fix up their. And yeah. I know that they do this stuff with the RBI program. It's just not enough. It's got to be at a much larger scale because once you have those people as kids, they're fans for life. Right. Play the game early. Watch the game as an adult. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's yeah. not uncommon. All right, we'll close with this. All right, we talked about all the rules. We got into much bigger topics, um, ranging from why baseball is appealing to how it needs to be more aggressive with the next generation. All of it. So, what rule change would you make? I'll, I can give mine first. Or you can go. What what is the rule change? We both have talked a lot about the rule change we wouldn't make. What's the what's the one they're missing? Boy, so there's two options, and there's one that I'm not sure would matter. Uh, so I'm going to eliminate that one, and that is you and I. We agree about maybe messing with the strike zone, but we disagree on how. Right. I would make it smaller at the top and bottom. Yeah. And if you want to get a little wider, okay, but because you can handle. 
in and out a little better, high and low. The further away that you get away from the eyes low, it's hard to hit. Right. And the higher it is, the the look the physics of it. I mean, gravity works against you when you have to hit a ball up in the zone. No, because you don't get any acceleration downward. You got to stay flat, and that's hard to do. I mean, that's part of my lower. Right. Right. So, but I, I'm not convinced that would totally work. But I would I would reduce the size of pitching staffs. I would go to I would I would limit the number of pitchers on a roster to ten or eleven. Interesting. At any given time. And maybe figure out a taxi rule where you can play around a little bit and have some freedom that doesn't mean optioning people to the minor leagues because I don't like the whole shuttle thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, and I don't know that it would work for sure. But if you had to manage with a smaller staff, you would have to train starters to go longer, and that would also mean fewer pitching changes, fewer matchup opportunities in the mm-hmm. bullpen. And I think from the fifth inning on, it is so hard to hit. Yeah. Because you've got people that are fresh, throwing 100 miles an hour, and they only got to get three outs. And if you could change. And they're gone tomorrow. And, and if you can change, if you can, if you can put in a position where that change is going to happen less often, yeah. that will help hitters. And I'm going to a comment from Ted Williams because I love to go to Ted Williams for things because he was way ahead of his time. You still communicate with him? No, I wish. But I mean, I still go back and watch his interviews and I still go back and read things that he said about various things that are still relevant now. Like, you know, people bitch about launch angle. He was talking about that in the 1930s. He raved about the shift to bring us back around. He said it was one of the best innovations in baseball. Yes. And And it cost him hits and a title. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. But he also made a point, and this is when he was older. I want to say this was in the in the seventies that he said this. Um, it might have been later, but he when he was well retired, he said, "You know, I, I and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I I understand that it's probably. I think he said it said something like, it's it's probably fair to say that it's harder to hit now than it used to be because and he was talking about bullpens. He goes because you get out there. He goes when I was playing." I got at least four cracks at that guy mm-hmm. to get a hit or two against him. I got at least four cracks against the same guy almost every day. Mm-hmm. And now he's and this was this was years ago. This is before what we are now. Yeah. Saying, but when you've got that guy that's coming out there specifically to get you out, and you're having a different pitcher every inning from the sixth inning on or for the last three innings, the level of difficulty is greater because not only are those guys good and they can go all out for that short amount of time. But in addition to that, you don't have any familiarity with them. Right. You know, if you're facing, and, and not only within a game, but he was talking about how you face starting pitchers, you might face the, might face the same guy 12 times a year. Mm-hmm. And each time you're facing him and you're getting three or four at-bats against him, and it builds up familiarity. Yeah. And success as a hitter is all about those one or two spots here and there you have a chance to take advantage. Yeah. So when you limit that by having four or five relievers every single game that makes hitting hard because you got to change your game plan you got to change your approach you haven't seen anything you don't you didn't see him a week ago because even a good reliever that pitches all year how many times is a batter going to see him in a year three Mm -hmm. four at most if you're in the same division maybe more in that case but it's not a lot and i think that if we can force teams to use less pitchers and the only way you can do that is to let them have less Mm -hmm. then you might be able to see more of an offensive uptick um, as you get more cracks at starters and you have fewer options when it comes to changing pitchers every inning. One way to do it is to have a 28-man roster 
and then a 22-man squad. Active roster. Active roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have a 28-man roster. So when you start a roster, game, this is what you have. When you start a series, yeah. you say, these are my 22 guys yeah. for this series. And if it's a two-game series, then benefit of it. Yeah. And, um, and you can adjust for that. Okay, here's mine. You ready? And it's similar in what you're saying. I have really grown to like the notion of tethering the designated hitter to the starter. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Go ahead and finish. That's it. You just like just the designated hitter can be in the game as long as the pitcher he's tied to is in the game. Mm. And then after that, bring on the National League style no, ball. No thanks. We don't need more 100, 100 batting average guys hitting. We don't need more guys striking out 50%. But you wouldn't. Of the time. Why would you? Why? I mean, that's not what we had. We have all these matchups going on where the DH changes anyways based on the handedness of the pitcher. That's fine. It would just be like a pin. So it wouldn't be – pitchers would never hit. You well, would never have a pitcher hitting. You're just forcing – you're forcing lineup changes. You're Correct. Forcing, well, so what? Why? Why? Because then you're going to engage – because you're going to prioritize the pitcher – pitching deeper into the game because you have to make a choice well then what is the teams are just not going to make the dh a priority then it's just going to be bench guys they won't even they won't spend any money on it okay because all it's going to be is a series of bench players rotating through a game anyway well then they're not going to rest their stars there maybe they have not. to make that calculus maybe they only do it on the day that max scherzer pitches okay that's my well, point but, that's but then you only I, get the one eh. i mean think about the layers of strategy that now have to go into that nobody watches for strategy well, that's well, not true at do. all. We no. do. The people we're talking about don't care about that. That's not true at all. You like, think the fringe fan cares about that? I think that the city of St. Louis is obsessed with lineup but order. But already that going? strategy. But they're already going to the games. No, You're not going to draw more people because of that. You're not going to get more eyeballs because of that. I'm not. I didn't say that. Well, I you, thought that was the point of what we we're trying to do. No, I just want to change a rule. I just oh, was offering right, up the right, rule that I right, would change. Right. I didn't say it would well, make the game. I, it I, would. I, it would add a layer of theater and strategy to it. It would also prioritize in a way that, similar to your roster thing, it would prioritize the starting pitcher getting deeper into well, the I'm game. I'm all about that. I mean, I, I mean that's that's like what that. would happen. I, I don't like forcing. Well, I mean, here's the problem. I mean, an injury it's obviously not really that strategy. Because it's going to be done based on what your analytics department tells you should be done at what time and against who. Everything is already. we got to take some of that back. It's not actually strategy. It's just a plan. You're just going to follow a plan. So if this pitcher comes in, this guy's going to hit. And if that guy comes in, that guy's going to hit. And it's not really like strategy. It's not. It's automatic. It's just plug and play. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the rules. the, The way to change the game is to change the math. That's the way to change the game. All these rule changes that don't effectively, substantively change the math, meaning change some kind of actual element of balls in play or what the strike zone is or size of the bases, that you have to change the math. You have to reclaim the game from analytics to predicting what it's going to be. You have to change the this? equations. How about this? And I, I, I just had this thought as you were saying those things. Maybe what we need to change more are minds. Okay. We need more teams that are willing to be different, that are interested in being different. And by the way, willing making, or brave enough to be different. This is my point. And and making different your identity. So go back to and I, and I won't go on a long rant here. This will be quick. 
You go back to, say, the 80s as an example, and I go back to that because that's when I was a kid. You had all these different styles of play, all these different styles of game. You had Earl Weaver. You had the platoons and the three-run homer and the big starting pitchers. And you had Whitey Ball. And you had Billy Ball. And you had Harvey's Wall Bangers. You had all these different – you had Sparky Anderson's way of doing – like you had all these different views of how to play the game. And everybody was different. And and, and people – fans built an identity. This is why people still love Whitey Ball because it became a part of your identity. Right now, everybody's the same. They are all playing the same game the same way. Who's different? Who's out there? Who's like, you know what? We're going to take risks. Who's going to be like, you know what? Maybe style matters more than math. Because I think people, like fans, the thing I hear the most is, I don't care about math. I want to be entertained. I want to have fun. And maybe it's going to take a few teams. Because you mentioned the you know the Savannah Bananas. I don't know if I want to go that far. But they made a choice in their realm to just be different and see what happens. I would love to see that on the field. The teams that are like, you know what? We're, we're going to steal bases all the time. We're going to run, 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 run. Or we're going we're gonna to emphasize the starting pitcher. We're not going to do this stupid bullpen thing. We're going to develop our guys to throw seven innings, to go out there and throw. We're not going to forget pitch counts. We're not counting to 100. When the guy's stuff starts to diminish, because we can measure that now, then we'll get him out of the game. You know, we don't have to play this game the same way, but every team is the same. Who's different? Who in the game right now plays the game in a fundamentally different way than everybody else? Ones that don't have the talent to play it as well as everybody else. But in reality, the bigger teams now play like them. No, I know. Well, I'm just saying like a team that doesn't have talent. Like you go and watch a Pirates game and it's different because they don't have the ability. Right, it's not. They don't have the talent. Right. No, it's not a fundamental. I mean, the one thing was the Giants, right? But even like teams that are different are still like, you know, they're still seem to be run by a computer program. Yeah, it's still... The, the, it's, the difference is the matchups, and they don't have a same day... You know, the Dodgers do it. They don't have a same everyday lineup. They're, they're, the style that they've embraced that you, is is that, that it is different is one that is, you know, mathematically deployed. It's mathematically... It's architecture, so let me not you, art. So let me put this in a different sport. When you think of the 80s Lakers, do you think Showtime. about... You don't think about wins right away. Even though they were, they won championships. The first thing that comes to mind is that it was a show. That it was fun and entertaining and fast and they got up and down the court and Magic Johnson was thrilling. Style matters in entertainment. Mm -hmm. It does. Why? Sorry for the weird turn here. What made Kiss the biggest band on the planet? In the 1970s, in their lyrics, it was the show. No, their lyrics, it man. It was the style. You need to check their lyrics. It was spitting blood and breathing fire and dressing like demons. It what the music's okay. I really think it was their lyrics. Yeah, it spoke yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, the lyrics, all the lyrics. You want to talk about their love gun? You know, like the lyrics are Don't dumb. Ruin this for me. Sorry, the lyrics are dumb though, and the music's fine. The, the, the kiss is fine. They're good, but the show was what drew. It's why they were as huge as they were. And baseball doesn't have enough show. No. Even though it's called the show. Well, the problem is exactly what you hit on and we've talked a lot about is the large tableau of data and the enormity of a season are influencing the little individual moments that are better when they're anecdotal. And that's that's just a hard... You're right. It's a hard place for baseball to be. You know, people... Like, the game is managed... 
based on large data samples, right? Like mm-hmm. large samples that people the people consume the game in small sample size. Mm-hmm. So when you're playing to the large sample size, but people are consuming in the small sample size, you have a you got a conflict there. Mm-hmm. You do. And it and because of the way the game was in previous generations, that wasn't even a factor. You just played you played the style. You really you played your manager style. You tried to find someone that was really good and you just played the game the way he wanted to because you trusted him. Yeah. And while it might not have been the best like in terms of business savvy or it might not have been the smartest for when you had to transition from one manager to another, it was fun. What hasn't changed and maybe this is the answer. What hasn't changed is the fact that when you go to the ballpark, you don't know what you're going to see. That's right. There's still the chance, not the guarantee, there's still the chance that you will see something that you'll never forget. Or something that has never happened before. Or something that has never happened before. And that there is no amount of calculators or diagrams or data sets or internet connections that can flush that from the game. But that's not how the game is being sold on television. No, but that's that or right there, in person. That right there is why sports are more than a hundred billion dollars a year in revenue when you combine them all. So sell that. Yeah. Sell, yes. Come to this show because you know you go to that concert. It's gonna be the same song that it was twenty years ago when that band first wrote it. When you go see a play, a Broadway play, it's the same script, it's the same line delivered the same way. Although it, even that is more like a live sport than say going to a movie. You go to the movies, that thing's done. It's on film. Nothing's happening. It's it's done. We know there's an outcome. It's going to end a certain way. And in sports, and obviously since we're talking baseball, yeah, every game is different. Everything is unique. You're getting an experience that. Only the people in that ballpark at that night will have in person. Yeah. And there's a chance that it'll be – there is the risk that it won't be memorable at all. Yep. But there is the chance that it'll be the night 699 and 700 happen. It could be the one that you're telling people about 60 years later. Yeah. So why don't they sell the game that way? Uh, great question. <laughs> That's Kevin Wheeler, host of the show on X 1120 a.m. midday. They talk about sports. They talk about everything, pop culture and everything. I think, you know, I don't – can I give a tease? I guess you're drafting possibly the best last shows of series. So the best TV series finales is what we're going to be drafting uh, on October 21st, so on Friday morning. October 21st. And you're going to go with um, with the – what what the pitch? Is that the the season finale, series finale of the pitch? The what? Wasn't that the one, the pitch, where the pot – didn't they do a TV show? I don't know. All right. See, no, n- not very know, memorable it, it, baseball it, it, TV. Here's your sneak preview. If, if I get the first pick, it'll probably be the final episode of the Game of Thrones series. Just as long as it's not the final episode of the best podcast in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to let me know. Yeah. You can find Kevin at KMOX. You can find all the Post-Dispatch's constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. We have a special Yadier Molina commemorative book coming out. You can find ordering information at stltoday.com. Yadi is the 
title of the book. It has all of the coverage through all the years of his career, including the recent coverage um, from his last season before retirement. He's already off in Venezuela as a manager. He's already managing against uh, Jose Martinez, um, who's playing. But uh, he's already off there into his second act of his baseball career as a manager and will soon be prepping for the Team Puerto Rico for the World Baseball Classic. You can find Rick Hummel, Daniel Guerrero, Ben Fredrickson, Benjamin Hockman, all that coverage at SCLDay.com, including the chats. That's also where you can find the best podcast in baseball. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes. Recently went there to read the reviews of it. I always go there to find out how the audio quality is doing, I guess, <laughs> with the reviews. So you can find the best podcast in baseball there. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you weekly by Closet by Design of St. Louis. And now, off-air Wheeler and I are going to argue about the Gold Glove finalists because that's what we do. <laughs> and there's no, there weren't that many arguments this year, I don't think. Manny Machado, man. What an well, absence. Yeah, yeah. But pro-utility Gold Glove. Yeah. We're, we're excited. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, the games have changed. you got to recognize. Way to go, Rawlings. Woo-hoo.